so welcome back to our Mulan episode. Uh, last time, Shalila has detailed for us her Disney history, and we've learned that there isn't any, basically, uh, yeah. except for the movie Bolt and the movie Bambi, and then everything that came after 2012. Sure. So here's my big opening question for you. This is, like, I, I'm not going to count the, the modern stuff, because those are, you know, some of those are very good, but they sort of, uh, they exist in their sort of new bubble. Mulan yeah. is the the only one of the renaissance that you've seen which is sort of generally considered to be like the the height of all of disney filmdom so what'd you think man i really loved it i understood um why it's a lot of my friends favorite disney movies um and i thought it was basically a perfect movie i i really really liked it are you calling me on facetime or am I <laughs> not intentionally <laughs> I moved my phone <laughs> to the table. It was, why, is my, why is my phone ringing how do we, in my ear? How do we reject it? I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll decline. Okay, <laughs> okay great. Sorry. <laughs> I just tried to move it slightly, and then all of a sudden Amazing. I was like, why is my phone doing something weird? Yeah. Okay. All right. Back to Mulan. <laughs> Back to Mulan. So you, you, you were saying that you sort of realized why it is a lot of your friends' favorites. Yes. I... I Completely understand. I just, I, I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was a really great balance of everything. That's that's my initial impression. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite moment and song? Oh, oh, that's hard. Um, I mean, I, I really like Reflection. <laughs> I think it would be a little... I think, is it like... I don't think I'm allowed to not say Reflection, right? The other one's really fun, too. I mean, there's like four songs... Um, Reflection is a great song. I, um, I think I sang it once for a talent show, so I, I know it, but I, I love it. It's, it's lovely. Great song. Great message. Slaps. Fantastic. Um, the greatest scene. Um, I've got a couple. It's all the ones that are, like, alarming. Like, the ones that are surprisingly scary. Like, um, when they're singing that song as soldiers and marching, and then they just stop it suddenly, and you realize the village is, has been burned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm talking about? And then... The one where they're all celebrating the victory of the, the, the troops and then they f- and then the owl or the eagle or whatever the heck it is like reveals that the main villain is hiding on the roof among all the statues and he just yeah. reveals himself. Terrifying stuff. And then this is the last one. It's like when he when the, the villain what is his name? The villain the, the, the villain Han guy. <laughs> when Yu. he thank you. Um, when he 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 says like how many men does it take to deliver a message? And that guy goes, One and it's like, Man, that's a joke about death. I just really liked those. Those were fantastic, I think. Really, really great. Okay. So this is a great starting point for people to yell at us. Okay. You have the correct take, I think. Um Here's an unpopular opinion. I don't like reflection very much. Here's why. Here's why. I have to shout over the internet. Um, it's not that it's not good. It's just that I think my childhood interpretation of this movie continues on to this day. And like, in other words, when I first saw it as a kid, most of the emotions I had with this movie are still sort of maintained, which is to say that I definitely appreciate Reflection more now as an adult, and I find the song very pretty. Uh, but as a kid, it just bored the absolute bejesus out of me because she's just kind of looking at a pond for a while, and I want things to happen. And she's just kind of gazing at a pond and self-discovering her identity and all kinds of boring things. So meanwhile, later on, there's a whole song in which they're like talking about typhoons and wildfires, and they're like kicking buckets and shooting bows and arrows and there's hot Lee Shang doing stuff and it's just it's so much more exciting uh so I don't like the I mean uh I'll make a man out of you uh is probably my favorite song of the movie because it is just so like energy filled um but that's not exactly the interesting take I think that's a lot of people's favorite song it's the fact that I don't particularly care for reflection that I know is a bad take but again the reason I don't care for it is because child me found it boring. Uh, and that's kind of the entire take. 
Every time we have a podcast about a Disney movie or anything Disney that I've just seen and you've seen a long time ago, it's just, hey, what's your opinion? Oh, I really like this thing because I watched it two hours ago and I thought it was really fun. Oh, I didn't like it because I saw it when I was six and I hated it then. Oh, okay, that's fair. Oh, okay, that's fair. Cool. Yeah that's it it's just like oh you're an adult and you can better appreciate things great well as a child i was dumb <laughs> like that's kind yeah, of the whole they're both just objectively correct yep. <laughs> you're like yeah i understand i was six too and i am also it, in my 20s now <laughs> it really I, i've noticed this like for a lot of things from that i watched as a child like whether or not kid me was bored for even a second is really important as to whether or not i think something is not that enjoyable even in things that i generally find very enjoyable like there's a lot of Disney movies where it just has those moments where, uh, like, if it just kind of bored me then, like, for example, in the movie Hunchback of uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, there's a scene in which Esmeralda is in the cathedral of Notre Dame, and she's singing the song Sanctuary. Uh, or, I'm sorry, uh, God Help the Outcasts. Sorry. And uh, that's, like, a super famous song, and even outside of having seen it, uh, I would say listen to it if you get a chance. Beautiful song. And as an adult, I'm like, man, this is a gorgeous song. It's honestly kind of fascinating. As a grown-up, I can now appreciate it, too, because I didn't get at the time that it's essentially a song in which Esmeralda, as a Roma in in uh, Catholic Paris, is like literally like calling out God, essentially. Like uh, the, the whole song is her just sort of like t- almost not taunting, but like kind of confronting him with like a supposedly you're there and you're supposed to be taking care of all this, and yet every single person that I know is suffering and you don't seem to do anything and your church is full of people that are praying for like, I want more stuff while I and all my people get to suffer in the streets, right? Beautiful sentiment, very deep, very dark. But as a child, (laughs) that is the single most boring part of that movie. It takes forever. Her song is just, like it's just so much not energy and I want energy. (laughs) So... It's taken me a long time as a grown-up to be like, I have to sit here and appreciate this. I know that I have to watch this as a (laughs) grown-up. Like, I can't continue to hold opinions from six-year-old me. No, I think that's fair. I thought you were going to say that the reason you didn't like Reflection is because the theme is just completely, like, different to the theme of the rest of the movie. (laughs) Oh, no. That's fine. That's my qualm with it. That's my, like, I'm not six anymore qualm. Okay, wait. Talk more about that, then. This is interesting. See, I, I love the movie. I love the song musically. I, I mean, when I when I when I say I love it, I mean obviously I hadn't seen this movie, so I love it as a song. I love it as a, a pure piece of audio that Christina Aguilera sang, and then I learned by heart. But I had no idea what it was like in the movie, and then I found out that the movie is not what the song is about, which is fine. It's just like two completely different vibes. The song is more like a... Now, now here's the thing. I'm not trying to make this into like an identity thing. Like whatever you get out of this movie is valid. That's literally the point. Like whatever you think this affirms or helps you with in this movie is great. So I don't think the movie needs to talk about a thing. I think it's just like whatever you get is great. I'm happy for you. Um, but here's the thing though. This, this song, it's more like a trans thing. It's more like feeling like you're in the wrong body feeling like you're in the wrong like it's more of like a physical expression of of being a misfit in some form it's like i look you know when will my reflection show physically who i am inside um and the the message of the movie for me is more like if she could join the army as a woman she straight up would like her her discomfort with femininity isn't so much like striving for masculinity so much as it is just rejecting all the other things that come with femininity but i think she here's my interpretation again as a cis person so you know take that as with a grain of salt but i think she she seems to me like fairly comfortable in who she is physically she's just like i don't like all the stuff that comes with it if i could be a girl and join the army i would love to do that but man you guys are forcing me to do this and maybe i find some comfort in like the drag or the cross-dressing aspect of it but i'm perfectly happy in my gender i just don't like the societal norms however reflection is like nah i got a huge problem with the gender the body the physical aspect now here's the deal none of that matters i think it's great because you can watch this movie and if you're in any form like questioning your gender expression anything anything even just conformity as a concept like hey i don't like being the nerd at school like great i think anything that you get out of this movie like i said is it like it's valid it's great I, I think it speaks to so so much more than just hey being a woman is is limiting and being a man is limiting too but it's just interesting to me that the song and the movie are two different things that is really interesting uh i'm gonna pull out specific things that i think 
support your take here from the movie. Uh, well, thank you very much. Even in like film, like especially using like essentially film moments or like film language to a degree. Like the one that's really sticking out to me in this moment is when uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to put a spoiler alert for Mulan 1998. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's your fault. Um, uh, uh, after she after she rescues Li Shang and she um, uh, she you know fires the rocket and causes the avalanche that that collapses most of Shan Yu's army. Um, is of course when she gets like slashed by Sean Yu and she goes to the, you know, they take her to the medical tent or whatever. And that's when they discover that she is a woman, right? Um, and what I'm sort of, what I'm, what I'm, the, the reason that really came to mind when you were saying that is there's that moment when she very proudly portrays that, right? Like she, if I'm remembering correctly, she like, she like either holds her hair up or she like lets it down and she's sort of like, it's like a, a sort of film language way of being like proudly, prominently showing. Uh, in a very simple, you know, sort of Disney way, like either, you know, sort of like the classic, like take the glasses off, now you're Superman. Uh, like sort of let the hair down, I'm a woman moment, which to me sort of supports your argument of like reading this as it's not that she's uncomfortable in her identity, in this case, more specifically related to gender. It's has way more to do with constantly feeling like she has to hide some aspect of herself. Uh, and that aspect in this case is her identity as a woman so that she can be in the army so she can save her dad. Previously, it was hide the fact that she's kind of clumsy and just sort of like not seemingly interested in domesticity to a degree uh, because she's just a little almost like, I don't know, uh, uh, gangly, like rambunctious, yeah, like not, right. not really related to anything, seemingly anyway, not really related to anything even really that hardcore identity or values driven it just seems to be sort of like a i am a way and i need to hide that way so that i can get a husband so i think that's really interesting what you're pointing out because i think the movie in general supports what you're saying that it's not uh reflection seems to be it's almost like reflection is is uh uh, uh suggesting a sort of deeper level of meaning in that song than the rest of the movie really supports the rest of the movie is more like no she's either clumsy or she's got to hide that she's a woman because she's in the army uh but the song itself is so like specific and powerfully written and is so easy to read that way that you do kind of get the rest of it and again i i'm with you in agreement of like i don't think that means you can't read it however you want uh that's my reaction to most things related to disney of like you know if people want to think that elsa is asexual bisexual and if you want to to recognize that in that character and you want to be connected to that have at it that's awesome part of me is like you should you kind of should if you want to like you should take yeah. that because disney's not going to give it to you on the flip side I, that it, i the only thing i will say is i get uh i, I don't annoyed is too strong of a word but i do sort of get exasperated with the takes of like i'm really annoyed that disney hasn't acknowledged that she's uh not heterosexual where i'm like that that's never gonna be the like right. <laughs> i promise you can go ahead and go to that empty well for the rest of your life you will never draw water from it so i don't really know if you need to be annoyed by that like in other words i i don't think we should look to disney to grant us that artistic fulfillment in relation to identity especially uh or non-conformity or whatever like they're not going to give it to us so happily pursue that narrative if you want i think there's a lot in mulan that does feed into that if you want it like you just said i don't think it's absurd to read it that way especially because after that song she goes to the army and has the song i'll make a man out of you like it's just not uh and by the way shang uh falls in love with her when she's a man question mark like <laughs> there's right. <laughs> you can read that a lot of ways if you so please. Uh, I'm just sort of of the mind that like don't expect Disney to actually give you what you're looking for. You right. you need to take that from them. You know you need to take it for yourself. So, but I think that's really interesting. I'd never really considered the uh, the break between reflection and the rest of the movie. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I really, I just it just stru it struck me very strongly watching it. I was like, I think that the entire movie is a really, really, really strong rejection of societal oppression and rejection of conformity and rejection of ex expectations. But it's got literally nothing to do with physical 
expression of any kind like even when she succeeds everyone's like oh she succeeds because of her brain not really man they show very clearly that she lives up to the physical aspects she was just kind of clumsy before she was just you know a little uncoordinated but so was everyone else and um she very like they show in that whole i'll make a man out of you montage that she's very well matched with everybody else so they it's literally nothing physical really in the movie I, i don't i don't see it as a you know um you know, the way that, like, you watch, like, a cyberpunk movie and then everything is kind of a commentary on physic, physical something, like, your right, body right. of some kind. And then Reflection is just entirely that, which rules, I think, for everybody who wants that. But that's not the movie. <laughs> so, I, no, I, I don't know. I, I don't have an really, issue at all with it. That's though. a good point. I think it's just interesting. No, I, I do think that's a good point. And maybe that is... Maybe there is a degree of... Um, I guess what I can't really... Not that I need to, but I guess what I'm sort of stuck on right now is I can't figure out whether or not that's a weakness of the movie or whether that is another example of it's an intentional choice by Disney because what they like to do is present a you can read this however you want protagonist conflict. Like they, they make it so generalized that you can kind of do whatever you want with that as a kid because that's the point. So... And, and the reason I'm sort of stuck on that is kind of what you're saying of like uh, every time I try to think of like what were her problems before she undertakes the journey like what is the thing none of that really relates to the end like hmm. seemingly at the beginning like the issue is she can't find a husband through the matchmaker because she's very clumsy and she's sort of I don't know spunky like I, I don't know she's just sort of not good at pretending to be a future wife but None of those things come about toward the end of the movie. Like, even the things that are introduced in the beginning of the the military camp don't come about. Like, she doesn't, like, it's not that the problem was ever that she was not allowed to use her brain, I'm fairly certain. I know they, they mention that in a song, but we don't actually see it. Like, it's not like, it's not like her thinking too much is why the matchmaker doesn't like her. It's because she spilled tea on her and then there was a cricket. Like... And and by the end, when she defeats Sean Yu through, like, very inventive thinking, none of that is, like, separate. Like, in other words, like, it's not, I don't, it doesn't, it's not really related to clumsiness. It's not related to her not being able to think. Um, she just outwits him, essentially. Uh, th- and like you said, not only outwits him, but is also able to, like, kind of physically interact with him to a degree that we're never told she wasn't able to before. So that's where, again, it's sort of like a, I can't figure out if that's a, is that a failing of this movie or sort of related to what we were talking about in our Brave episode. Like, is this just another example of them trying to make something so generalized that you can really feed into it whatever your heart desires, but there's really not an answer here. Like, we're not going to actually find the answer. I've got the the seeds of an answer. Um not quite the full answer. I've got a, I've got a little bit of that. I think I think I think both of those things are right in that on one hand it's a little scattered. That's okay though. I think what ties it together is the fact that it, this movie isn't really about anything that she wants or she is. Like I really don't think fundamentally that this movie is about Mulan's personal struggle. This is the most controversial thing of all time. I legitimately do not think it's about her. I think the entire thing is basically about her relationship with her father. Like I, I don't think that she is struggling with her personal her personal place in society so much. I think she is, but not as much as uh, the plot would have you believe in something like Brave, where that truly is straight up about Merida struggling with who she is. I think here it's like Mulan's having a little bit of a hard time, but mostly those are her reacting to the expectations she thinks that her father and her family have for her. So it's not so much her reacting or her acting in the face of what she is struggling with. It's so it's it's more just her perceived failings to live up to what her family and specifically her dad want from her and I think that that ties together at the end when she you know she gets that 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 honor the sword and she presents that to her dad because she thinks that this is what ties it together for her she's like I've come all this way I did every single thing that I did not to like discover something new about myself not to like explore my gender or my place or my capabilities or find out I was stronger than ever before I did all of this because I didn't think I could bring you honor but here is a sword it's the highest honor honor in the land have I brought you honor now and he goes I don't remember what but he's like you're you being my daughter is the greatest honor ever and then she's like oh okay like that's great so I think they both have a little bit more of an understanding of (laughs) 
Um, it's literally just about that. Like the whole thing isn't even about her. It's just about like what her. I don't know. I don't know if this is going anywhere, but that's my answer. No, no. I I don't actually. I don't disagree with this take at all. It's something that I recently began realizing about some of the, especially the Renaissance movies. Um, uh, and I, I'm not sure it's as stark in this movie. I think she has a little more of her own story. But but sort of to your point, I, I still don't think a lot of it is based on like, she. it's just not a classic sort of like hero's journey. Like she has some kind of a foible that she's not... Uh, that is getting in the way of her success and she must overcome that. Uh, it's more like she's always fine. It's more like she just sort of needs to force the world around her to realize it, which is a fine story too. But the, the reason I'm bringing this up is I've recently realized this about several of the movies. Uh, I think the, the starkest of which in, uh, I don't, have you seen the live action Beauty and the Beast? That's, Emma yes, Watson, yes, I have. Et cetera? Okay. Yes. So it's, very, very similar to the animated. I'm going to specifically talk about the animated one, but they're similar enough that I, if my memory serves, I believe this carries over. Sure. Uh, Belle is not the protagonist of that movie. And I, well, let me, let, me, let me switch my sentence there. Belle is not the main character of that movie. And it took me a long, like, really, until maybe the last year of my life to realize that. Because I was sitting there trying to figure out upon rewatching both animated and the live action, what the hell is Belle's journey? And I, like, couldn't really <laughs> figure it out of, like... What is wrong with her? Nothing. Like, I can't... There's no... There's conflict in the movie, but, like, none of it is based on, like, her... She doesn't learn anything. There's no... There's no arc for her. There's a plot arc, but there's no character arc at all. Like, she is who she was from the beginning, is who she is at the end. And that was sort of that, that like, realization of, oh, Beast is the character... This is Beast's movie. Mm. I, I never... Like, never did that occur to me. Um... And I think that's true for a lot of these movies, it turns out. And I just hadn't really realized that. And I, I, I'm still not really clear why. And maybe that's something we can explore a little bit if this does become a thing. But I'm sort of curious as to if that's about having protagonists for kids that are really marketable. And in order to make them marketable, you need to make them kind of good always. So that the problem is never theirs internally. The problem is external, and they just need to strive against that external problem. And that's why you have characters like Belle who, they don't change in that movie at all. They, they are the same, and it is through her goodness that the beast ends up sort of changing his behavior. Or uh, in The Little Mermaid, you know, uh, Ariel loses her voice willingly, and that's like a key component of the movie. But honest to god she doesn't change a single component of her personality like it's not like like the ending of that movie has nothing to do with ariel like she's not suddenly like oh i have finally found the ability to speak out against my father and and claim my position in society as a woman and also yet another movie that has a ridiculously strong trans narrative if you're looking for it um none of that is present in the finale right. <laughs> at all it's just not related but instead it's like it is through her love and compassion and through her, her ability to still communicate despite these things that she is able to communicate that to Prince Eric who then drives a ship into Ursula and kills her. Like, it, it's, it's, they're sort of all the, the protagonists, they're, they're how we're seeing the story, but the stories don't end up really being about their journey very much. It ends up being about the journeys of people around them. And that is, is, I don't know. It's very unexpected to me in a way. And I think to your point in Mulan, Mulan feels kind of the same way. Except the two the two people who change would be her dad and Shang, not Mulan. She's the same point one to point two. So I, I'd never really thought about that. I completely agree. I, I think it's all, uh, that's also supported by the fact that this movie, see, I, I, since I didn't really, I hadn't seen it, but I knew some things about it, I kind of assumed that it was a commentary on femininity. Like, uh, that's the most obvious way to read it, right? Like, you hear mm -hmm. she, she dresses as a man to go undercover in the army, and you're like, oh, great, it's all about how being a woman is so limiting, and um, you know, in society, and, and if you blend in as a man, you're allowed so much more. So I was like, great, that's obviously going to be the outcome. I don't even think this movie was about femininity. I think at the beginning, in the whole marriage nope. thing, it was definitely about society and women and tradition, a little bit for sure especially i mean specific cultural expectations but it, the whole thing is just about how ridiculous masculinity is like the whole movie is really just about 
I, I mean, this is a good thing. I, I liked it. It's fine. Um, not a criticism, but it was. I was surprised by that. Like the whole movie is like. Um, men kind of have the problem <laughs> with with how everything is set out like all of the right. you know it's it's like all of the, the soldiers and how how ridiculous they are just constantly fighting and oh i'll get this tattoo and i'll be stronger and oh they're all like goofing off at the pond and they're like ah, ha you know uh, i'm i can i can dominate all, any army and um and if you think about it like the guy who has the biggest problem with mulan being a woman is the i have no idea what his name is but the kind of the guy who's like i'll send a report like the the army
it's still interesting to me that it seems to sort of support your point of like the movie's not actually about femininity then it's about the only way they're able to finish this movie is if they let go of their masculinity it's the only way to do it and even shang is sort of put to the side in that end of like he helps but she's the one that ends up finishing it all right. uh and i find that kind of interesting it is really interesting i think i think the another another thing is that the supposed most powerful or strongest soldier of the of their little regiment is the you know the really really large guy um the the very tall very i don't i don't know what his name is but that that really Uh, tall gentle guy yeah chen po sure yeah you really know their names um he (laughs) he's you know like he 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 is kind of the most helpful force all along he's he's the strongest and he saves them multiple multiple times saves every single one of them pretty much and that guy is kind of the the least hardcore masculine of them all like he's very he's very gentle and you know delicate with what he does and and that's not really played for anything except for them to learn from by the end right like to like if you have a a more like just a looser grasp of why why of, of you know just just letting go a little bit of, of how masculine you feel like you need to be all the time perhaps you might actually be onto something so i think that that really does come full circle and it's more about letting go of your masculinity like you said than embracing mm. femininity as a strength or something but again it's not anti-feminine it's, that's just not the lesson right well, I think we're on to something uh, interesting here. I like it. Um, back to things that aren't nearly as important or well thought out. Uh, what was the funniest point of the movie for you? You go first. Uh, there's a lot of very funny things in this movie. I think the thing that still makes me laugh the most for no real particular reason... Uh, I mean, they. I think most of the moments have to belong to Eddie Murphy as... Uh, as Mushu, of course, because he is intentionally made to be the comedic relief. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, when he dresses up as uh, the general uh, <laughs> and and uh, 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 Shifu is down by the pond and Mushu and, and Cricky, uh, Cricket rather come out of the, the, the tree and they're riding a panda uh, <laughs> and there's just something so absurd about it that it really makes me laugh every time like the the fact that um uh shifu is more like he's sort of suspicious that his voice sounds weird and he does not seem to question that this like giant armored man is riding on a panda bear like it just isn't brought up at all like it's not acknowledged they don't ever mention it uh and then he just crawls away and that whole thing is just makes me laugh every time um yeah I love that. I, mine's, I think mine's related. Mine's when um, they're when, when when Mushu and the the cricket little cricket are writing the the command to the you know the fake command to yes. I don't know any characters' names. The one that says go help. We we need your unit now. Yep, and yep. Uh, the cricket first off, the cricket just jumping around with ink writing Chinese characters is hilarious. And when he, I like that um, it's the typewriter sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, and and also, I mean, most most prominently when when Mushu's like, oh, please come and help us. Oh, and just bring some food while you're at. Excuse me, this is an army. Can you make it sound a little more? <laughs> that was great. That was. Uh, I I will say when I when I started this movie again, I like I said, no, I knew nothing about this movie, and I I really didn't expect Eddie Murphy to be in this, like, to the point where oh. I was thrown off for, like, ten minutes. Like, when, when Mushi started talking and I was like, that's Eddie Murphy's voice. Why is he in this movie? That I I, I probably naively assumed, assumed that only Asian voice actors were in. And I was like, why is the mythical dragon from Brooklyn? Um, but that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> We've got a bunch of Japanese and other ethnicity act voice actors in here, so it's not that accurate. But whatever, it was very funny to me. So I was very thrown off by that. But then um, I was very surprised that I actually came to like that character a little bit. I didn't like it as much as I think the average person does. I was kind of annoyed the whole time where I was like, this doesn't feel like it fits in with the traditional humor that the rest of it is. Like, it feels like you're trying to bring, like, an Eddie Murphy set, like a comedy set, into... um, But it didn't... Like I said, I think my biggest praise of this movie is something I brought up about four separate small times in our recording session, is just the fact that my qualms with this movie are small, but also that they didn't really, like... They didn't really 
harm the movie at all. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, this song's vibe didn't fit with this. Eddie Murphy was kind of out of place. This thing was a little weird. But none of them made me dislike the movie any more than I, you know, like, I, I liked it the same amount despite all of these little things. I just think it's such a strong movie overall that I was like, huh, that's weird. But it didn't damage my opinion on it at all. Just nice, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's sort of like we said, there's sort of things that I, I can't tell if they're actual qualms I have, if they're actual, if they are um, mistakes that I think the movie made that should have been better, like keeping things a little more focused on like what actually is the problem. Or are those so intentional that I, I don't know, there's something about me that says like, I don't know if I can call them errors. Uh, and instead it feels like this might just be the point in a way that it actually is kind of fine. Like it, it just sort of works out in a way. Um mm. Even, even sort of the, like you said, the Eddie Murphy thing, I, I agree with you that it, it is so contrary to the rest of the tone of the movie. Um, what I think I like about it, though, is they, they play it pretty well together. Um, I think you mentioned this. like it, it never feels like he's taking away from the rest of it, sort of. Yeah. Uh, it just is, is like kind of a, a little addition that is, a, a, you know, a little bit uh, against the rest of the tone, but not terrible. In contrast to that, if you ever get around to watching The Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, uh, the the comedic relief characters are in there as well. There's uh, uh, three gargoyles that are basically the comedic relief of that movie. They don't travel uh, like Mushu does, but they serve the same purpose. They're they're there to to for for Quasimodo to speak out with and and sort of you know obviously help kids understand what's going on, and they provide a lot of comedic relief. However. They work in exactly the opposite fashion, where for a lot of movies, they're fine. And for other parts of the movie, it is so jarringly against the tone of what is happening, it kind of shocks you. Like, it, it really brings you out of the movie for a second, where you're like, what? Why now? Why this? Um, uh, uh, most st uh, uh, starkly in that movie, right toward the, the basically the third act of the movie, we're getting right into sort of the climactic, what will be the final set mm. piece. We have just spent time with Esmeralda and the rest of her uh, uh, people and basically seeing what is what is going to end up being the mass arrests and what is very heavily implied if you're an adult to be the future genocide of these people. And Paris is on fire and like it's coming. Like the, you know, the, the, the burning down of a city in order to eradicate a people is on your doorstep. And they use that time to make the gargoyles have a little bit of a love song with Quasimodo about how, hey, if he just figures it out, he might be able to get the girl. And it is so jarringly, like, turn the wheel to the left that as a grown-up, you're like, oh my God, why is this here? Like, this seems inappropriate mm -hmm. on every possible level you could conceive of. Um, and that's where this... I, I, at the very least, I don't think Mulan does that. It is tone different, but in a way that it almost like it gives you a little break, like a little palate cleanser, as opposed to being so aggressively not okay with the rest of the tone. Right, right. And that is a really strong argument. I, I will be watching that movie um, just to see that scene and also the rest of it. It's fascinating. There's, there's a really great... Uh, you, you know Lindsay Ellis. I think you might have introduced of her course. to me, to be honest. Uh, she has a great uh, episode, I believe. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I don't remember if it was on Hunchback or if Hunchback was simply part of it. But she has a great episode that involves Hunchback in which she talks about the weirdness involving um, that movie and its marketing. And the fact that like huh. you could go get like the, the famous like Burger King or McDonald's toys for Hunchback. And how utterly strange that is because of the content of what we're talking about. Like the, the you're like, uh, ooh, sure, go get sure. your favorite uh, deposed of monster child who is systemically and personally abused for his entire existence. Wouldn't that be a fun toy? <laughs> like it just doesn't, it doesn't fit the rest of all of Disney's sort of things. Like you can argue a Mulan toy or a Simba toy or a Hercules toy, but this exact circumstance is so weird. Uh, and she really talks about that Man, in an interesting way. So. so interesting. Just a quick little plug for everybody. I always love Lindsay what Ellis, she great says. YouTuber. Yeah. Fantastic in general. Man, that's really weird. 
That is, it's what it's it's what I like to call the the bear and brave of another movie. <laughs> yes, the bear and brave. Great. Well, uh, I just realized I don't think I ever gave you my favorite moment from this movie. No, uh, please do. I actually have a really weird one. It's literally the very beginning of the movie, uh, and we can talk about this more when we talk about the movie on live action because it stands in such stark contrast. But I think. Mulan's beginning is one of the of Disney's most effective beginnings in terms of the villain. Uh, you know, a lot of them are very good at setting tone. You know, uh, uh, Hunchback and Lion King are very good about like you're about to see an an epic Shakespearean story of of the circle of life and the sort of wonder of of Lion King and and Hunchback is immediately very dramatic and dour. Um, very good at it and and even the ones that are a little bit lighter but are like you know whatever like pocahontas they have like a pretty good little ship song as they're all setting off and there's just a little you know sort of interlude between the two parties and it's all all good but none of them really touch on the villain right away and what i love about mulan is that opening with sean Yu is even as a grown-up it actually kind of scares me like it's it's done it's so artistically done in a way that is you know, they're, they're assaulting the Great Wall, and what I really love is when he turns with the torch and illuminates him, hulking on the wall. And like you just said, sort of evoking what comes later, that sort of gargoyle-like fashion. And as he, like, kind of leaps down, the sheer size of that character, he yeah. looms over the entire frame, and, and the, the light, the way that they animate it, it just sort of, like, flickers against his face in a way that's almost... Um, it's almost spectral. Like it has this degree of like, this is a this is a figure of the shadows who has just sort of appeared, and that that line that you said where he basically is like, it only takes one, and and that that it's just so scary, so fast, uh, especially because we don't actually see that much of Shan Yu throughout the movie. Really, I mean, you know, he really only shows up in a. Um, in an active way with Mulan, as opposed to having a lot of scenes of like, let's explore his motivations, let's figure out what he's about too. He really does only show up as the sort of straight villain presence. And I just think they do such a good job establishing him. And um, Miguel Ferrer's voice as him is just phenomenal. Mm, Some of the greatest voice acting. Yeah, so good. He's so spooky. So anyway, I think as weird as that is, I really do think it's my favorite part of the movie. It just, it stands out the most, so. Anyway. I love it. I I want to I want to echo that that uh, and I, I don't want to steal your favorite part. It's your favorite part, but I also love that, like you said, he's barely in the movie to be honest, but his presence is felt the entire time, and it, it all really hinges on how well they can establish him at the beginning. And you're you're so so right that he is instantly just absolutely terrifying, even if you're like in your twenties watching him. Just and I also want to call out the beauty of the animation really quickly. You were talking about how you see him you know, in the flames, when they, there's a shot where they show the, you know, when they light the torch at the top of one of those towers, and they show the soldier who did it, who lit the torch, lit right behind it, and you can see kind of his face features distorting, as if, you know, when you, when you see something in front of a fire, and yeah. the, the, the heat makes your, makes everything a little wavy, um, the animation does that, and it's beautiful stuff, it's just gorgeous yeah. stuff, seeing just the delicate touch of those little things from 1998. It's beautiful. Uh, also, uh, we haven't really talked about this, but a killer cast for man, like, yeah. It feels like a cast that, like, as a kid, I obviously had no appreciation for, and <laughs> because they were also kind of not who they ended up being to the degree that they are now. Like Ming Na Wen as as Mulan, Eddie Murphy obviously was huge, but you know this was only a couple years before he was Donkey. And in other words, like as a kid, he was just on top of the world. Like he was Mushu, and then Donkey. There would be no one greater, essentially. Uh, B.D. Wong as Shang, which I didn't know for a long time. Yeah, there's just a lot of great people in this. Uh, uh, like yeah. I said, um, um, James Pat Hong Marita. as Shifu, Pat Morita as the Emperor, which again, something else I didn't know for a really long time. Um, George yeah. Takei as the first ancestor. Like, yeah. really, really interesting little little uh, cast that, like, as a grown up, was like, damn. Uh, this is really cool. <laughs> there is a moment where, you know that scene we talked about where 
the three of them, again, I don't know a single name in this movie, but the three of them kind of dress as women really quickly to sneak into the, the, the yep. palace. Yep. Um, and I was, for one second, while I was watching that, I was on my phone or something, I looked away, and then one of them said something. It was like a two-word line, like, let's go, or whatever. And I heard that voice, and I looked at the screen, and I saw a person, like, cross-dressing, and I heard the voice of Harvey Firestein, and I had this, like, like that's so a Raven-style flashback to Hairspray, <laughs> where he did oh, the same thing. Oh, yeah. And it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would recognize that voice anywhere. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, actually, absolutely stacked cast that only got more iconic over time. I also want to call out quickly that I knew so many of the memes in this movie, like so much of all these old Disney that I haven't seen, where I was like, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. Like, I have used that multiple times. <laughs> that is that a I great now line. understood <laughs> where cow. it comes from. It's so funny. It's great. Yeah. It's it's just fantastic. This is, this is all very good. I'm glad we did this because it's going to be a very good place to jump off of when you watch the live action. I, I'm really curious to know what you're going to say. And I don't want to color that, and I don't want to color it for the right. For, no, for no, don't tell me anything. Yet. I'm very curious. But I do think um, it is impossible to not compare the two. And part of that, even aside from it being a live-action remake of Mulan, part of that is because the live-action remake uh, was honestly a lot more interested in the animated movie than I thought it was going to be. So because of that, it is just impossible not to compare. And I think where it lines up and where it doesn't is kind of fascinating in and of itself like the the choices to choose where the you know to, to take from the animator right. and the choices were not to uh are very illuminating so I, i'm i think this is a great place to kind of like to go with it because it's going to give us a good foundation for what, what 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 sort of happened one way or the other good or bad whatever you feel about it what happened in relation to these two um in a way that i don't think i felt with any of the others uh, any of them. With Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, I'm talking like the bigger ones, Cinderella, um, uh, which all to me felt either they were really trying to evoke the animated, like completely, true remake, or in other ones, more of a kind of a pure rejection and like a let's just kind of do something different, um, which to Aladdin. me is more like Aladdin. Yeah, where Aladdin was like, <laughs> screw it, we're not even going to try. We're going to do something really weird and and for better or for worse, it's just interesting to see that difference. Man. So. Yeah. I'm really curious to see if this, I'm assuming there is a scene like this, but the scene where Mulan like, decides at night to, to, to go off and cut her hair and ride the horse off to the camps, if there's going to be weird 80s synth music playing in the background like there was in this movie. Yep. <laughs> <Is> <laughs> You'll really just have to find out. out. to me as a choice with a capital C. I think that was one of the, I, I think that's the closest I came to almost lightly, maybe possibly disliking the movie. <laughs> but I did, I loved it. <laughs> there was just such a moment there where I was like, hold on, what? <laughs> but it passed because this is a great movie. Well, um, I think that's Mulan. The only thing that I want to leave this on, uh, the sort of the only other last thing to say, uh, if you've never, for, for both you and anyone listening, uh, if you've never looked at sort of who's behind this movie, I think that might be a weird thing for us to explore at some point too. It's kind of fascinating. The guy who directed this movie, there's two people, Tony Bancroft and Barry Cook, and they basically have never directed another thing. Um, they've done a lot of other things. They're, they're really big animators or, uh, uh, you know, like, like um, uh, voice, voice directors, right? Um, so, for example, Tony Bancroft uh, did the voice direction on... Um, uh, 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 on uh, Porco Rosso, on like the English uh, English dub of, of Miyazaki's Porco Rosso, um, he was a supervising animator on The Lion King. Like little, like not little. I don't mean to diminish that, but just like sort of smaller credits like that. But he and this guy Barry Cook directed fully, directed Mulan. Here's why I think this is interesting. Tony Bancroft. The big thing about him now is he founded and owns a faith driven animation company faith driven like a it's called tenacious tenacious family entertainment and it's like a religious animation 
uh, uh, company. Um, and what I sort of think is interesting about that and, and sort of looking at their, their respective credits is just literally nothing else that they've ever done has anything to do with Mulan. Like Tony Bancroft, the only other thing, or I'm sorry, Barry Cook, the other thing that he directed was Arthur Christmas in 2011. Huge jump between Mulan and that. And then Walking with Dinosaurs, uh, like the BBC later picked up an America fake documentary show. Um, so just the fact that these two have such weird credits and what I was particularly interested in was that religious aspect from one of them that does not seem present at all in this movie. Uh, other than a, a generalized description of, of the ancestors and things like that. I just sort of fascinating. Like the, you know, uh, most of the attention comes before the, in front of the camera in this movie uh, or Disney as a whole, but it's kind of fascinating. So I would just sort of advise anybody who's curious or feeling nerdy to kind of go take a look at like the credits from who's behind this movie because it's a real weird mix of, of people that still manage to produce something that we all really love. Um, and I don't really know why. Like that's, uh, that's it. Um, yeah. The guy who wrote this movie uh, is dead now. That's another fact. It's kind of sad. Um, uh, yeah, he like fell and died in 2014. Oh, but he, he was the, the story. Very tragic. <laughs> yeah, he was the story creditor or credited for like the story of Mulan and obviously the adaptation. Um, but uh, yeah, he he was like a like a a, a big children's book uh, writer, and he consulted for them. Um, for Disney and like that's how that came about but and like I said again like just sort of a lot less of what you would expect for, for what Mulan ended up being all of these credits are a lot more reduced than what I would have thought absolutely um, yeah anyway that's yeah, that it. is really interesting all right well that's Mulan you can find us two deeply accomplished content producers on several platforms you can find us nearly anywhere you get podcasts um and a really handy way to get a link to all of that is to go to our patreon or our twitter our patreon is patreon.com slash aysw and our twitter is twitter.com slash aysw pod or at aysw pod i don't know why i use the twitter.com full thing um <laughs> we're everywhere and we're linked everywhere and the two of us are both on twitter as well which is the best way to reach us mm -hmm. um and we are you know we're, we're linked on the official twitter for aysw and <laughs> we look forward to talking about the remake especially me who hasn't seen it yet yeah i'm i'm very excited for that so uh, in case you're wondering where you can watch these things, they're both on Disney Plus slash the internet, I'm sure. Yep. Uh, if you want to watch the live action Mulan, you currently have to pay 30 bucks, uh, but you'll be able to watch it forever. So I don't know if that helps you at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, great. Thanks, everybody. Maybe hold We've out until our next episode off. to decide whether you want to pay the money. <laughs> yeah like, no that's, that's a good answer. point that's a good point yeah maybe we'll maybe we'll make that a part of the episode we'll be like we would recommend you wait or not uh okay. that's a that's a good a good thing to keep in mind so we will see you next time everyone yeah thanks for listening